0: If you turn back with me, please, to that portion of the Bible that we read in 1 Peter and chapter 5. 1 Peter and chapter 5, and in particular, we're going to look at the verses Mark 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5, and the verses Mark 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The story is told of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. The one who said, I am the greatest. The one who described himself as being able to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And the story is told in... In 1964 when he's heading off to fight Sonny Liston in the world championship fight and he's on the plane with his entourage and they're all sitting around him and they're laughing and they're joking and the stewardess is trying to get everyone in order before they take off and, and uh, she asks them all to fasten their seatbelts and she comes up to Ali and Ali doesn't have his uh, seatbelt fastened and she says, sir, can you please fasten your seatbelt? and he just looks at her and doesn't fasten and then she goes down the aisle and comes back up and sir can you fasten your seatbelt and ignores her again the third time she comes up and she says sir fasten your seatbelt and Ali a little bit annoyed said Superman don't need no seatbelt and she replied Superman don't need no plane either (laughs) God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and Ali was probably joking there, so I'm looking a bit hard on him there. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He says, there is one vice in which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And our text commands us and says to us, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the pride but gives grace to to the humble Now any preacher that is about to embark on a sermon on humility and pride is on a hiding to nothing so I am preaching this first and foremost to my own heart and I came across a sermon a number of years ago by a man called Ebenezer Erskine the brother of Ralph Erskine, he was one of the Marrow men, a friend of Thomas Boston If anyone knows a little bit about church history, there was a division in the church in the 1700s and the Erskine brothers and Thomas Boston and another number of men, they came out of the church because the church was becoming legalistic. Ministers were only instructed to preach the gospel to those who they deemed worthy enough to preach those who seem to be repentant enough or those who seem to be contrite enough to receive the gospel. And of course the scripture is very clear that we are to go out into every nation and to preach the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature under heaven and that's what Erskine and Boston and them said and did and we owe them a great debt. The free offer of the gospel was, was in the balance and of course today as ministers and preachers of the gospel, we preach to all who will listen. And it is the Lord who does the work within the hearts of people who hear the gospel. And as Angus was saying today, the minister and the preachers, as as Christians are, we are nothing but clay vessels. And we have this treasure and we have this good news to give to our neighbours and to give to others. We are but the mere messengers. The increase and the power and everything that goes on belongs to God. And to God alone. We cannot see into the hearts of those around us. And nobody can see into your heart either. And we thank the Lord for that. it is only the Lord. so that's a, a little bit about his uh, history of Erskine and I came across a sermon that that, that, that he preached at the communions in seventeen twenty one in a place called Orwell near Kinross in Perthshire in seventeen twenty one a long long time ago. And the way they used to preach back then, they would ask questions of the scriptures. They would take a topic and they would ask questions of the scriptures the same way as a catechism would ask questions of the scriptures. And he asked six questions of the scriptures on the issue of humility and pride. The first one was, what is a humble soul? Number two, why is the humble person a peculiar favourite of heaven? And can this be proved from the Bible? Number three, why does God appreciate the humble? Number four, what are the marks of a humble soul? Number five, why should we seek a humble spirit? And number six, and finally, how do we attain a humble spirit? Now, we're not going to get through all six. and we get through two, we'll be doing all right, I think, yeah? We'll try and do two points, okay, and see how it goes. So that's the way they they preached back then. They would ask questions, and and they would go to various parts of the scriptures. It's basically called topical preaching. You pick a topic, and you go around the scriptures, and that's what he did. And I've taken his points, and I've used it as an outline. I haven't plagiarized it. I've just used his points and used it as an outline for, for building the sermon. And the first things he asks is, what is a humble soul? Well, first and foremost, it is a sensible and balanced view of ourselves. A sensible and balanced view of ourselves. And in particular, after coming to faith. Because as we spoke about a few moments ago, when we were born, there was pride within our hearts. And there was sin within our hearts. And the opposite of pride... Is the Son of God hanging on a cross with many people around that cross mocking him, spitting at him, cursing him. And that is how God has decided, in his mercy and in his will, to deal with our pride. The day comes in our lives where we see Jesus for who he is and we come to that realisation that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot do anything of ourselves to deal with what is wrong with us. It is called conversion. It is when the Spirit of God enters into your heart and enters into my heart and it's like a target, like, like... like playing darts and going for the bullseye, and the spirit of God goes straight to the heart and straight to the heart of the matter to break what? To break our pride. Because the Lord must deal with our pride. Because pride cannot exist in heaven. <laughs> I don't know whether there's plugs there or not but pride cannot exist in heaven and that is what the Lord does and that is what the gospel is all about. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another and it is the gospel of free grace that Erskine fought so hard for on his friends and that is what we preach to every creature under heaven. We say listen, you cannot do it by yourself. But this wonderful, wonderful son of God who was crucified. He was crucified for you and for me. And this same Jesus is watching over us here this evening. And he is at work in your heart and in my heart by the power of that same spirit that goes straight to our pride. Humble yourselves, the Bible tells us. So, what does the gospel do? It puts us on a level ground. As we look at Jesus and we see his humility, the one who humbled himself, although he was the son of God, he humbled himself not only to enter into time and space and into this world and walk in this world and and do wonderful things, but he died for us. The most cursed death because of our pride because of our sin that is the gospel in a nutshell we need the Lord Jesus to change us to mould us and to recreate us and he's there for us for each and every one of us here this evening he's there he's there he is there he is there And he is speaking to you this evening. Perhaps we've been on the road a long, long time. But my word, we still need to hear from Jesus. But if you're not a Christian in here this evening. I want to plead with you. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And Jesus loves you. Because of what he has done for you. So there we have the gospel. So then what happens then? We have a balanced and a sensible view of ourselves. In the great big scheme of things. He has created us. And he has placed us where we are. And he loves us. And he tells us that he loves us every day through the word, by the power of the Spirit. And we need to hear it every day. Listen to Jacob in Genesis 32.10 I am not worthy of the least, of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown me. We must never think there is nobody like us. That we came from such and such a family, or we have such and such a standing in life. A humble soul makes little of these things in this world. Listen to David, who was exalted more than anyone in this world. He was made king, a man after God's own heart. And he says to the Lord, who am I, O Lord? Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house?" That you have brought me thus far, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, oh God. You'll see that in Second Samuel chapter 7. There's nothing like the gospel, nothing like the gospel to help us realise where we are in the great big scheme of things. Spurgeon was preaching one night in the tabernacle and this young man came up to him a man he had never seen before and apparently Spurgeon knew thousands of names for all the people that were coming through that wonderful church and and, and this young man came up to him and this young man couldn't wait he couldn't wait to tell Spurgeon who he was and what family he came from and all that he was doing and he let him talk for ages and Spurgeon just waited and then he he says young man I care not where you came from I only care about where you are going. That's what I'm interested in, Spurgeon said. The humble soul has low thoughts on her or his abilities for any work or service. Listen to the great Apostle Paul. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, or claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And as we heard this morning from Angus, Our sufficiency comes from God. We are weak, we are fragile, we are empty vessels and within us is this wonderful treasure and good news we have. But we are weak, we are weak. But nevertheless we have a work to do. And the great Paul says we are not sufficient for these things. And what did he do? Himself and his friends They set Europe alight with the gospel. The whole Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires that ever existed. And Christianity just spread all over it. The story about that Galilean man who was crucified on a cross. They went out into a world that was so pompous and proud and full of philosophy And full of learning. And they changed the world. Because of the message they had. Listen to Paul again. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is why we press on. Because Jesus Christ has made us his own. Because we belong to Jesus. We press on. And we continue to press on with this wonderful message that we have. Good days, bad days. We press on. Now how about a humble spirit concerning others? A humble spirit will put others before themselves. That's a hard one, isn't it? A humble spirit will put others before themselves. Listen to Paul again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And it is only the gospel that can do this to people and to churches and to a community. Because we live in a world where we're told to compete, 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 rise to the top, rise to the top. Have you made it? Oh, he hasn't made it. Oh, he's made it. Oh, she hasn't made it. He's made it. And the gospel says enough. The gospel says enough of the worldliness and the teaching of the world within the church Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. You'll see that verse nestled away in Philippians chapter 2. And what else is nestled away in Philippians chapter 2? It talks about the Lord Jesus, the one with ultimate humility, doing what his Father sent him to do. Paul always points us back to Jesus. The Reverend Hugh always points us back to Jesus. Angus always points everyone back to Jesus. We all point those around us back to Jesus, not to ourselves. We are weak and we are fragile. And none of us knows what tomorrow may bring for us. None of us. Completely dependent we must be on Jesus a humble spirit has a gracious and a courteous attitude toward all. We are not to be morose or sullen. We are to be filled with joy. But that's sometimes hard as well. When we're having a bad day. To be filled with joy. what we mu- What fills us with joy? We point back to who? point back to Jesus and remember of what is ahead of all of us if we're in Christ. You know a humble spirit surrenders to God to the will of God and that is what we do when the Lord comes into our lives and into our experience we say Lord You're in charge. You're in the driving seat. I have lived my life thus far and I have made an absolute wreck of it. And the Lord Jesus comes in and he takes the driving seat and we must surrender our will to what he has for us. One of the most, I don't know if it's sad, one of the most powerful scriptures I see in the whole of the Old Testament and Reverend Hugh, we remember we went through David's life it was the last year or the year before we went through the life of King David and King David had it all he had it all and do you remember his own son rose up against him he spoiled his children is what he did and we're all guilty of that David spoiled his children, and one of his sons, Absalom, rose up against him. And during a civil war, it actually reached a civil war within Israel. And David being king was just wanting to go away and just, and just let his son be king, and there was all kinds of advisors coming in here, there, and everywhere. A bit like politics today. And his son died as he fought his own dad. And what did David say? He says, let the Lord do to me what seems good to him, even in the death of his son. If it is the Lord's will that my son die, then let it be. He is God. He is God. That's one of these scriptures I see. Struggle with, and I look at that and I think of David crying tears for his son. And of course, it's a picture of another father looking at a son whom he loved dearly as well Jesus. Jesus. David had to be brought low, and he was brought low. A humble spirit sees the cup put into her or his hand as nothing compared to the cup that was put into the hand of Christ. A humble spirit sees Jesus Christ as his life, life, strength, righteousness, and salvation. That self-righteousness that is in us all can only be dethroned by Jesus and by the gospel alone. There is nothing else for us. You and I, this evening, have nowhere else to go. Why would we want to go anywhere else? Listen to Ashton on this point. He says, in a word... The humble and lowly believer is content to be nothing, that Christ may be all in all unto him. He is content to be a fool, that Christ may be his only wisdom, content to be, as he really is in himself, a guilty condemned criminal, that Christ may be his only righteousness, content to be stripped of his filthy rags, That he may be clothed with a borrowed robe. And if you are in Christ here this evening. God the Father looks at you through a lens. And that lens is his beautiful son Jesus. And as he looks at you through that lens. He doesn't see a filthy condemned sinner. He sees a perfect saint clothed with a robe. Clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how God the Father sees his children here this evening. You are clothed with Jesus. Clothed in that robe, that great exchange that the reformers used to say, we put all our pride and all our sin. Jesus took it on the cross. And what does he do? He gives us these new garments, beautiful white garments, and we clothe ourselves in it. And he makes his people holy. Yet we do not probably feel holy. But in the sight of God, if you are in Christ here this evening, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people called unto himself. And this offer goes out to all All, And as the offer goes out to all, we pray within our hearts, those of us that know what it is to be clothed in that wonderful robe, we pray, perhaps people in our own families, perhaps people we love the best. God is at work because he has promised to inhabit the praises of his people. He has promised to be with his people when this gospel is preached, no matter who the weak vessel is that preaches it. Do you ever look back on your life and you look at your day? Some, you know, some people are Christians from the womb. They cannot say a day or a month or a year in which they were born. I know one minister, he'll say in his testimony, he says, I don't know when I was converted, sometime between 1960 and 1970. I don't know. But I know Jesus loves me. Other people have a day where they are just boom, converted, just like that. But we all share the same inheritance. We all share... We're all of one family. There's nothing like the gospel to humble our hearts. And our prayer is that more and more would see the beauty of Jesus. So what is a humble spirit? Well, we've looked at a humble spirit concerning ourselves. We've looked at a humble spirit concerning others and we've looked at a humble spirit how we look toward God. The Lord is in full control of our lives, isn't he? Absolutely he is, amen to that, he is. And very, very, very quickly, another two minutes. Why is the humble person a peculiar favourite of heaven? Can this be proved? I thought we'd make three points, haven't am reached two you remember the story of Jesus and the centurion in Matthew chapter eight. The centurion's words: He has a sick servant, and he comes up to Jesus and he says, "Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof." He says, "But only say the word, and my servant will be healed." Here is this great Roman centurion. He was a place. He was within a place of standing in the Roman Empire. He was somebody. People listened to him. He had the matters of life and death in his hands. And yet he comes up to the Lord Jesus amongst all the Jews. And he didn't care about etiquette. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what his mates thought. He didn't care. He came up to the Lord Jesus and he says, Lord Jesus, you, I am not worthy for you to even come into my house. But my servant is sick. And I love my servant. Will you heal my servant? And Jesus rejoices. He rejoices and he says, I have not seen such faith in the whole of Israel that this outsider, and that's what the centurion was, he was an outsider within this church of Israel and he's come in and he doesn't give up monkeys what anybody thinks because he has faith in Jesus. Etiquette, couldn't care less. A humble spirit he had, he came up and he says, Lord, will you do this for me? And what does the Lord Jesus say? Of course I will do this for you. I will heal your servant. You'll see that in Matthew 8, on the verses 5 to 13. And of course, his own disciples. What do you reckon of them? Lord, see when we reach heaven, can I sit on the right hand, and can my pal here sit on the left hand? Now that's the kind of question I would have asked. But see, he had come into the lives of the disciples too. And they too, they too would have the same faith as that centurion and understand. that The disciples had to go through that process of seeing what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus and Pentecost and read the book of Acts and the Spirit coming on them. And then they have a full realisation and they look back over that three years for the Lord Jesus and suddenly everything starts to make sense to them. Did everything make sense when they were walking with Jesus? Absolutely not. And sometimes it's the same in our lives. When we're wrestling with the gospel and we're wrestling with eternal things and we're wrestling with life and we're wrestling with death and we can come become so confused and we just don't know. And then, ah, it's really quite simple. It's really quite simple. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose again for me. And Jesus is going to take me home to be with him. The disciples have that day as well. Same as you and I have had that day. Praise God. And many people throughout this world are having that aha moment as well. Perhaps you are going through that process the now you're wrestling, you don't know what is truth, you don't know what is fiction, you don't know what to believe. Well, I point you back to Jesus. Look at the love he has for his people. And one day, that same Lord Jesus is going to return. And everyone who has not bowed the knee and decided to remain within themselves and are thinking they're in control of their own lives, that's going to be a bad day. But for the believer, it is going to be a glorious, glorious day. We haven't even done two points before the global it won't be tonight it won't be tonight So why is the person the humble person a peculiar favorite of heaven in a nutshell because it glorifies Jesus because when people see somebody coming to faith it glorifies Jesus. as somebody comes from a sinful life into a holy life and becomes ambassadors for Jesus what does it do? it glorifies Jesus. And it shows the world, wow, there's power in this gospel. There's power in this gospel. Because I can see all of these changed lives. We all have baggage. We all have backgrounds. There's things in it we don't want anyone to know. And when you hear Christian testimonies, and when I look at my own, And I see all the trouble that I was in when the Lord Jesus came into my life. I tell you right now, I wouldn't be here today if it was not for the Lord Jesus. I would not be here. And many of you can say the same thing. And only the gospel can change lives. And I'm going to close with Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer number one. Heidelberg Catechism was written about 500 years ago at the time of the Reformation by two men in their 20s. Can you imagine, have you ever read it? Read it. It's a beautiful catechism. It's questions and answers as well. Two young men in their 20s who were wrestling with these questions and things we've been talking about tonight. Heidelberg question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? How would you answer that question? What is your own, only comfort in life and death? If you'd ask that tomorrow morning, how would you answer? Well, listen to the Catechism. I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Beautiful. What's your only comfort in life and death? It's abbreviated that I would live for him.